The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com hello and welcome to the yahoo fantasy football forecast i am liz loza i am joined this week by a very special guest it is yahoo senior nfl reporter and insider charles robinson charles welcome to the show i i i have to tell you i when people call themselves insiders i don't care it's one thing if someone else calls you an insider but People who call themselves insiders are the worst. I, this is like the biggest pet peeve that I have on the face of the earth. So if you see any of the other reporters out there who in their bios call themselves insiders, just know that that is gross. Well, you did not call yourself an insider. I called that you is an true. insider. But before we dig into the many layers of Charles's, um, shall we say, complex Psyche, let's talk about March Madness because, yo, bracket season is here. Play this year's Yahoo Fantasy 50K Tourney Pick'em Contest for your chance to win cash prizes. The bracket with the highest score will win the grand prize of 10000 bucks. And who doesn't want 10000 bucks after 2020 and a Las Vegas getaway? By the way, who doesn't want a Las Vegas getaway after 2020? It is free to enter, and over 10,000 people will win cash prizes. So sign up now at tourney.yahoo.com. All right, your psyche. That's like a whole other podcast. Honestly, Charles, if we have... That really is. (laughs) God, do you think we can get Brett and Ragu to, like, give us a podcast where I basically make you say, like, vulnerable things and then make fun of you for them? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it would be the biggest, it'd probably be the best rated podcast I've ever done. <laughs> Yahoo's, Charles's Gripes. That's that's a whole other, that's like a 10-year commitment right there. <laughs> I feel like the- By the way, my book, 
you you mentioned March Madness. My boys, my boys are playing tonight. The playing game versus UCLA. Oh. So what? I will uh, either be completely out of commission tomorrow. Or just leave me alone, one or the other. I mean, another interesting personality trait that we're seeing from Charles is um, the decision to hype the Spartans right now in this climate. So, well done. (laughs) I'm doing everything I can to bring many different angles to this podcast. Indeed. Indeed. Well, free agency is going to be the primary angle we are discussing. But before we get into that, actually, uh, happy new league year. Yay. We made it, yeah. As our NFL senior reporter, and because New Year's always bring on new resolutions, I'm interested, is there any resolution that you wish the NFL would hold themselves to or take under, take over? Oh, man. the Well, I'll tell you what. They actually, they did something in the new TV deal, which was announced today, um, that I think is going to be fantastic for everybody. They finally told ESPN that after week 12, well, starting in week 12, you can flex Monday night games. So we're not going to get these crappy Monday night, ma- well, we shouldn't anyway. I mean, I guess we put it in the hands of ESPN, so we'll see. But uh, we, we shouldn't get crappy Monday night games starting in, in week 12 of the season anymore, which was always the big gripe. Like, oh, these are locked in. We didn't know these teams were going to be horrible or this quarterback was going to be out with an ACL or whatever. We should get great games throughout the rest of the season. So I'm pretty, I'm actually, that was the one thing from the TV deal where I'm like, wow, they actually did something right. So obviously Charles is referencing the TV deal and that news broke on Thursday afternoon, even though you're probably listening to this on Friday morning, just a reminder that we're taping at 6 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. So if something is announced after the time we're recording, between the time we're recording and the time you're listening, we will be back next week to talk about it. We didn't miss it. We get it. It is March. All right, so uh, there's plenty of transaction talk and fantasy fallout to discuss. Lots of one-year deals, Charles. Like, everybody that we're going to talk to, talk about at least, um, is on a one-year. And in this year, a one-year deal is not totally uncommon, I have to imagine, and you are obviously much more of an expert than I am, but because of the cap situation. I mean, there's a decrease of $15.7 million in cap space between last year and this year. So can you talk about, um, you know, we tend to, especially in fantasy, like look at the money and say, well, that's starter money or that's backup money. And I think that's still pretty much true, but I would like to hear your POV on it because I think it shades a lot of the discussion moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, money is wonky because, I mean, a couple of things. As you said, the cap drawback, but there are a few things in play here. Number one, the union kind of told agents this year, like, hey, guys, collude, like with each other. Talk to each other about what's going on with the market so everybody's sort of getting the deals they should be getting. Um, And the unions, you know, look, they're not directly advising agents how to sign their contracts, but they certainly remind them, hey, the TV money kicks in in 2023. You know, the 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 big, you know, the big jump year. So there's the cap drawback this year. The thought processes around the league right now, when you talk to teams that have built out the revenue models, 2021 or 2022 will be a flat year. We'll go back to kind of where we were supposed to be this year, maybe around 195 million. And then in 2023, that's when you're going to get that sort of gap forward, the gap up in the cap. And so um, you see agents who are like, 
I'm not locking guys in right now. Like, first off, nobody really has the money anyway. So let's let's just do one-year deals or two-year deals. Or if you're really a supreme player, maybe we can get you a very good actual market, normal market three-year deal, which is rare. We haven't seen many of those. But, um, yeah, that's why we're seeing these kind of weird deals and the money looks odd. And um, after that first foray of free agency, when you would talk to general managers, they would say to you, like, just wait until you see what happens in this next wave because the money isn't going to be there. People think it is, but fans forget when you look at your cap, there are fans sitting there going, oh, we have $16 million under our cap. Well, you have a draft class to sign, bro. Like you have like there's there's more people you're onboarding and then you have your own, you know, free agent, some of the you know middle or lower tier 53 guys that you still have to sign. And so there really isn't that much money left. You're going to start to see some real kind of tight deals that you wouldn't have expected if it would have been a normal year. Well, I think that's the perfect segue to talking about our first player because Will Fuller is leaving Houston and going to Miami. This is an incredible value, I think, for Miami. One-year deal. Uh, obviously, his season in 2020 was upended by the suspension. He won't be eligible to start his 2021 campaign until week two. Um, and he's a player with a lot of soft tissue stuff. You know, he was really without DeAndre Hopkins in the fold last year, stepping into his own, um, not just the, you know, singular deep threat speedster that maybe some had cast him as, although if they were watching tape, they'd see that he had some uh, ability beyond that. But um, lots of soft tissue issues in his history, ACL tear, poor muscle surgery recently, so there's a lot of value here for Miami. Um, how are you feeling about it, especially noting that Tua is a younger, obviously, player who is, you know, opposite from Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we'll talk about a little bit later, and that he's not a YOLO ball player. There's a lot of a lot more timing and accuracy to Tua's right. play, uh, playing style, which is why we saw, you know, Mike Gusecki have a nice leap, but Devontae Parker struggle. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you spelled it out with Will Fuller. I mean, there's more red flags than a Chinese military play parade there. I mean, like he's the guy's had a gazillion injuries he's had. I mean, it's, he's, you know, the suspension on top of that um, availability in Houston was always a thing when he was healthy and on the field, he balled out and, and you could see the offense stretched and, you know, all these things, what he brought to the table, but Anytime you talk to people in Houston, they're like, we don't know. We're going to have mm-hmm. them 10 games this year. We're going to have them eight games. We have no idea what this is going to look like. So you're right. The value's there for Miami if they can keep them on the field. And I, I think the thing about Tua that's interesting is you go back to when you talk to people about Tua when he was going into the draft and they said, look, I'm looking at this tape on him and the windows he's throwing into every single wide receiver's four yards open, six yards open, 10 yards open, mm-hmm. you you know, it's beneficial to give him a player um, who has the ability to get him, when he's healthy, to stretch the field and get himself open. And Will Fuller can absolutely do that. He can be the, the deep threat, you know, and get behind defenses. And that that's going to help, obviously, the underneath. We, we all know the mechanics of how offenses work, that when you stretch the field, the underneath routes will open up. And it's, it, as you said, it's, it's a value play, if you keep Will Fuller on the field. And I would tend to believe, given the length of the deal being a one-year, it's that sort of situation where if Will Fuller really plays well and stays healthy and doesn't, there's no suspensions or any other issues, they'll probably talk to him toward the end of the year and say, hey, you know, maybe we want to extend this now. Let's start talking contract mm. extension because you look like the right fit for our young quarterback. 
Well, I think from a fantasy perspective, I mean, I like that you mentioned up the size of the windows, the, the throwing windows, because Tua himself admitted that the windows in college were much larger and there was a, an acclimation period. And, you know, we know Devontae Parker is a receiver who excels in contested situations, and that made Tua a little bit uncomfortable. So. Right. We have the deep threat, Will Fuller, but we also, if we're thinking ahead to the draft, which, you know, you did when you're talking about money, a lot of a lot of draft Knicks have Jamar Chase, right, going to Miami. Don't forget, the Dolphins have two first-round picks, number three and number 18. So I think from a fantasy perspective, this is Coach Flo, you know, dub doubling down. Like, he told us very adamantly last year when he pulled Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Tua was the face of the franchise, and he was going to make that stuff happen, and it was going to happen fast. Now, we know Fitzpatrick's been moved, and they are gathering pieces to help their franchise quarterback take the next step. The expectation is that, I mean, when you draft a player that high, and when he comes with that sort of like lineage and narrative around him, you're anticipating a very large leap from, from year one to year two, right? This isn't the NFL in 20, I don't know, even like 2016 anymore. Right. Yeah. And he, well, uh, here's the thing, too. Like, Tua, and I screamed this all last season when people were banging on him. He had a hip injury. <laughs> like, yeah. he wasn't you, the player you were getting. It wasn't like this was a fresh player who had been on the field, you know, the entire collegiate season. Then they had the entire, you know, the workout programs and the quarterback, you know, work and all this, all these different. And oh, by the way, because of COVID, you didn't have your rookie mini camps. You didn't really have even a, a even a compacted passing program. Yeah, I I never understood piling on him. I think you have to give him like a very full season with you know continuity and and apparently you know the offensive coordinator situation wasn't working right. or you wouldn't have swapped out offensive coordinators. So I you know everybody just needs to calm down. I think you know Deshaun Watson obviously the thought process of him wanting to be in Miami, which is where Deshaun Watson wants to be, I bet you more than ever right now, um is is like people are gonna have to step back from that and and I think Part of the reason why you're seeing them steer into Tua is that, look, they know the realities. They're, all the pieces are there to build around this guy. And guess what? Even if he isn't the right quarterback, if you still build out the offense around him, as we've seen this offseason and last offseason, and I think many offseasons going forward, quarterback availability in the offseason, probably not going to end in 2021. There's probably mm. going to be more quarterback movement in this league than we realize moving forward. Well, especially with the cap issues that we were talking about previously. I think um, from fantasy, I, I don't, I'm not going to put Tua obviously in my top 12. He's not a starting QB one, but I am more bullish on him. And it sounds like you are as well than most people. I think he could be a value in super flex leagues yeah. as a nice QB two. Um, and could, I, I, I think he's going to outperform projections from a lot of us dorky fantasy analysts. Um, someone who definitely outperformed per, uh, projections was Josh Allen, but the news is not really about Josh Allen and more about his new backup, which is one Mitchell Trubisky. Listen, Brian Dable was like, yo, I did it so good. You wanted a, a mobile quarterback who had horrible accuracy. Well, I fixed him and look what I got you. I need a new project. 2020 was something I'm up leveling. This is my King Lear. And he's going to try to make that Mitch Trubisky who signed to surprise a one-year deal in Buffalo. Here's my problem with Mitch Trubisky. 
if you look at the arc of Josh Allen, okay, number one, Josh Allen comes out of Wyoming and coaches in the NFL would tell you, hey, when you take guys from schools like this, the coaching wasn't the greatest. Like, they're not banging on the program. They're just saying it's different than when you get somebody out of an SEC school. Clemson. Comes out of Clemson. You come out of Clemson, you've had a ton of tutelage. You do a lot of things in the offseason. Wyoming's not exactly the same. Josh Allen, you saw progression one year after the next after the next. He stacked seasons. He got better. The accuracy continued to climb. Trubisky has not been like that. He's been a roller coaster. It's been up and down and up and down, and you're looking for consistency there. And so... I guess, you know, as you see, we'll, we'll see if Brian Dayball can can instill some consistency with, with Mitchell Trubisky. I just thought it was interesting that the Buffalo Bills are like, the plan is kind of to have him here for a year and for him to do whatever he's going to do and then move on to greater things. I just don't. I'm like, that's not a great plan because I want to see Josh Allen on the field. I don't want to see Mitchell Trubisky ever under center for the Buffalo Bills. No, but as you're talking about consistency, I actually think it's a really smart plan for their backup because good teams lean on continuity and consistency and while this is not an apples to apples comparison by any means there's some definite overlap in their skill sets and so when you think like oh I mean this was remember when Kyler Murray was coming out and everyone's like well there's no quarterbacks like him so it's really going to be a problem finding a quarterback because he is such a violent style of playing and he's going to need so little and when he gets hurt what are you going to do you have to change your whole scheme to match a stupid backup like That maybe isn't as much of an issue now because all of these quarterbacks are mobile, but I do think it's smart to have skill overlap and continuity, and I do think that's something that good teams do. What they don't do, by the way, is uh, trade up in a draft for a mobile quarterback who's been a starter from one year from North Carolina, and then when the play caller refuses slash can't evolve during the process, uh, completely do a 180 and move back to a statue, despite the fact that you have a subpar <laughs> offensive line. Do you hear where I'm going with this? Uh, yeah, I know exactly where you're going with this. I mean, we all know. I mean, what is this leaning into the Andy Dalton situation? Well, I mean, I mean we did it with Nick Foles. Like, there's no, if you, you look at Nick Foles <laughs> and you look at Mitch Trubisky and you look at Matt Nagy's inability to evolve as a play caller right. and you think like, okay, well, yeah. where are we going? Because we're, we're, we I, are regressing, even if I am digressing. <laughs> That's a fair, I think it's a fair assessment. Like it's not, the the reality is you've seen them switch back and forth between different styles of quarterbacks. And it's suggestive that maybe it's not the player, maybe it's the play caller and, and whether or not, I mean, I look, when Bill O'Brien was here in Houston, the question was always, can he adjust to this quarterback or that quarterback? They, they draft Deshaun Watson. Oh, is he really going to be able to change the way that he works with quarterbacks to fit what Deshaun Watson can do? Well, he could. I don't, you know, Nagy, I don't know. Well, we're going to have to see now. This is, they're going, the interesting thing to me is they go out and they get Andy Dalton now. And the, the truth is like, it's Dalton was their number one before they traded for Nick Foles. He was their guy. They were going to sign it. Like it was lined up. And then all of a sudden at the last minute, they're like, oh, wait, Nick Foles might be available in Jacksonville. And they take a left turn at the last minute and they go and they get Nick Foles. Only to do what? Spend money, give up assets, and end up back at the same place they were last year when they could have had Andy Dalton for pretty much a song last year. You get him for a song this year. It's just, it's emblematic of management. It's emblematic of the coaching staff there. And I don't know what 
I guess I don't know what Bears fans are really expecting out of this situation. I, and by the well, way, we were, I'm not I will tell you, Dalton. we were expecting Russell Wilson is what we were expecting. <laughs> yeah, that's, sorry. I'm sorry. That was uh, I, he, I, the Russell Wilson thing, too. Something's being left out of this equation when everybody talks about, you know, what was offered. OK, and and this is something that I think NFL fans have to wrap their heads around. We offered three first round picks and we supposedly offered two, you know, two starters and blah, blah, blah. NFL teams, when they stack their draft boards, very few NFL teams exceed 18 to 20 players, usually 18, by the way, that stack up with a first-round grade on their board, which means if you don't have a pick inside the top 18, you don't really have a first-round pick to offer. Teams are not assessing 20 or 22 or 24 or 26 or, God forbid, in the 30s as a first-round pick. That's a second-round pick to them. So... If if you're saying, well, yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna offload Russell Wilson to the Bears for a pick in the 20s, which isn't a first round pick mm. on our board, and then he's gonna make them better, which means that that pick's not gonna improve. It's not gonna get inside the 15 that we need it to be. That means we're just trading for a bunch of second round picks and some players. So that's part of why a deal right there doesn't work. The the Seahawks are saying, you want Russell Wilson, you better have like a top six, seven, eight pick. And you better look like a team that's probably going to still be in the mix for a top 15 or 16 pick in 2022, or else those aren't first round picks to us. I mean, that all makes good sense um, for NFL fans, for fantasy managers. I think obviously Trubisky moving to Buffalo tanks his dynasty value. Uh, Andy Dalton, though, you know, as you were talking, I do think part of the problem has been indecision, right? Because Ryan Pace doesn't want to let go of the fact that there is something there with Trubisky. He's defending it, especially, you know, when you see Deshaun Watson become Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes go on to appear in two Super Bowls back-to-back, right? Like, I think there's a lot of ego attached to that, and there was a hope that Nick Foles might um, might mentor Trubisky, even though they're very different players, and there would be kind of a coaching-along situation. Plus, there's so much connective tissue with DiFilippo and everybody, frankly. He's worked with, uh, Foles worked with everybody on that offensive coaching staff. Obviously, connective right. tissue here with Andy Dalton and Bill Lazor as well. I do think, yeah. from a, a fantasy perspective, though, there has been a decision made. Like, Andy Dalton on Thursday, in a press conference where he is wearing a Bears logo on his polo, very crisp, clearly ironed, pressed, uh, he said, they told me I was the starter. That was one of the reasons I wanted to come here. That's the assurance I got. Andy Dalton is the starter. And is this great? No. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks it's great. Uh, but if you look at, like, let's give Andy Dalton a little bit of a break. We know about the, you know, playing on primetime and the bright lights and his struggles there. We know about, obviously, like, can't play past Saturday. Last year, I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. And you can tell me, maybe this is just me. Like, as a lifelong Bears fan, I'm great at rationalizing. And my accent just came out. Um, <laughs> maybe you tell me. Like, he had a crazy concussion. He got COVID. We saw what happened to Cam after he got COVID, by the way. Like, that wasn't great. And his play from weeks 11 to 17 last year, he averaged 7.2 YPA. It's better. It's not great. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was... Yeah, in, but he got better. He, he got better. I think the difference is, though, he had a trio of receivers 
that he definitely doesn't have in the Bears, especially if Anthony Miller gets moved. Allen Robinson, by the way, questions, fantasy questions about Allen Robinson. Yo, he cleared 150 targets in back-to-back seasons. That is nearly impossible. He is quarterback proof. You're not worried about him. He's going to do fine with Andy Dalton. And they may not be done with wide receivers in Chicago. Like, they're still kicking tires Ooh. on wide receivers that are out there. Like, there are definitely, you know, I don't I don't want to say names because this could change by the time the, mm-hmm. the podcast goes up. But, I mean, if they, you know, look, there's a reason why they connect with Galladay, okay? There's a reason. They're continuing to look and see if maybe there's something else out there. I don't everyone's sitting there and they're going, well, they just paid Allen Robinson. They can't go get another they guy and pay him a bunch him. of money. They don't they don't. Well, and not only did they tag him, but the guys who sign now are not going to sign for the deals that you think the Kenny Galladay super blockbuster deal is not going to be out there. And even if I guarantee you, when you see what the numbers are, wait until you see what the real numbers are, because none of the numbers that I see coming out in any players right now look very real. OK, so I'll, I'll give you an example um, a corner was signed today, and I think the the reported numbers were like two years, thirteen million. And I had the GM; he texted me, he's like, "It's two and nine. <laughs> it's like the it's not even the numbers that are out there, not even real. So there's going to be a lot of number massaging here, and there are going to be guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay. We'll see if he's signed by the time any of these guys are signed by the time this pod goes up. But um, it's bargain hunting city, you know. Look. Um, Hollywood Higgins in Cleveland, there was a time before the cap drawback, they thought, man, a team could offer him like $6 million a year. Like, they really thought that was going to happen. They get him back on one year a little over two, $2 million. Okay, so the bargains are going to be there to add to what's there. Now, will it be the stable of receivers for Andy Dalton that he had in um, Dallas? No, but I will tell you this. The offensive line is going to be better because Dallas's offensive line that he yeah. was playing behind after the injuries was the worst off. Like, forget the Jets, forget anybody else. It was the worst offensive line in football over the totality of the season. Well, uh, the the portion of the season when Andy Dalton was playing. So, I think. And and by the way, Andy Dalton's the guy you got to protect. Well, <laughs> like that, yeah, not... <laughs> I, I mean, you make a good point, and that was at the end of the uh, year while he was improving. The protection did like things started to click. It was obviously yeah. a little bit too late. And Bears Bears O line offers like a top twenty pr- protection rate. It's not an ideal. I mean, that's part of the reason Nick Foles didn't have enough time to plant his damn feet and throw because he's not a mobile guy. So, I think there's. A lot of opportunity here. I mean, my God, if Kenny Galladay comes home, Northern Illinois graduate, mm. they've had plenty of time to observe him in the same co- division. I'm, I don't want to talk too much rumors in case something changes. You're right. So let's move forward to another quarterback signing. You know, I am in a long-term committed relationship with a Washington football fan, and we are having very different experiences over this free agency period because Fitzmagic, one year, $10 million <laughs> to Washington. It is chef's kiss. I mean, we can talk about, like, it from a real-life football perspective, they also added Curtis Samuel. I mean, now you've got Curtis Samuel reuniting not just with Ron Rivera, not just with Scott Turner, but also with Terry McLaurin, his teammate at Ohio State. Terry McLaurin, an awesome yak product. Same with Curtis Samuel. I think Terry McLaurin ran a 4-3. Yeah, I think Terry McLaurin ran a 4-3-5 and Curtis Samuel ran a 4-3-1. So much speed. The uh, aggressivity of a 38 bearded one who has, you know, not so many you know what's to give. 
I think this is going to be and a, and a dynamic growing defense that got better, by the way, with this free agency signing and getting rid of Darby. I think it's an, I think, you know, everyone's talking about the uh, Dak Prescott signing in Dallas, but maybe Washington is in fact the best team in the NFC East, which might actually be saying something. Uh, look, Samuel, the Samuel signing and, you know, putting him in the full of McLaurin's just, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like it was, I was very, I never thought that, you know, Samuel up to this point in his career still has not been fully maximized. And the interesting thing is, like, go go into Carolina and talk to them about what he is. And they always were, like, telling you there's 20% more here. There's 30% more here. Like, we're going to get it. We just have to figure it out. And they always seem to blame themselves for not being able to get it. So let's see if in Washington that's what happens. You know, look, Fitzmagic, it's fun. Like, it's fun for a year. Like, Fitzmagic is... Over the the totality of his career is like the person you like to date who's a lot of fun for a little while, and then you're like, I can't do this. I mean, he's got too many teams to be that guy. Yeah, this. Yeah, no. (laughs) We got. We need. We need some stability. I don't need to be waking up hungover every day. Like this is a lot of fun for a short period of time. He's a bridge, but he is a bridge that I think in in what Ron Rivera is trying to do in that organization is bring the locker room together, develop some chemistry, develop some cockiness, a little bit of, I hate the word swagger because it's so cliche, but you know, that, that is what he's sort of looking for there as he seeks this culture change. And you saw in Miami, people gravitate. His teammates, Ryan, Tampa Bay. They, and yeah, Tampa Bay, the same thing people. And, and not only do people in the locker room gravitate toward him, a lot of different people. You know, we're talking about some I've seen walked into locker rooms and players who you knew probably would beat the living hell out of each other if they'd given the chance. But they both loved Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay, like that's just who he is. And that brings it galvanizes that locker room a little bit. And do I think he's a bridge yet? But do I think he could go in and maybe put some numbers up and be a lot of fun and be a surprising you know, fantasy option? Yeah, I think he could be because that's what he always is. I mean, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, again, he's not going to be a starter for me. I think he might be the, ironically, around, you know, I, I'm going to rank him obviously above of two, above Tua, but I think he's another one of those ideal, like I might reach for him in Superflex just to have him, especially when I'm thinking about, as my QB2 in Superflex, um, especially when I'm thinking about his weapons. We talked about Terry McLaurin, And Curtis Samuel, like McLaurin with the cadre of quarterbacks that he was dealt with last year, still recorded 17 catches over 20 yards and three over 40. For reference, Devontae Parker, the contested catch specialist we talked about, only recorded 10 catches over 20 and zero over 40. Now, admittedly, he didn't have Fitzpatrick the whole time, but we also had Alex Smith, who is not really known for throwing the deep ball, throwing to Terry McLaurin. Um, so I think, I, I mean, if I'm being asked to do like a fantasy projection right now, Terry McLaurin's catching 90 balls and going over 1,300 he, yards. Listen, listen, he's Godwin. He is who he is. Okay. He's Chris Godwin. That's who he is. He just isn't Chris Godwin yet. Okay. Like I, I'm telling you, this is sort of where he's at right now. I think that he has an opportunity now to become with the right quarterback. Okay. And if he's healthy and he's on the field and he's, as you said, if he's getting 90 balls, he is going to be a guy that could be franchise tagged mm. at some point yeah. in his career. That's that is the precipice that he is on because he has an element to his game being speed that creates mismatches. Mm-hmm. And it's part of why 
in, in, you know, for people who are sitting there staring at wide receivers in fantasy right now and going, well, why aren't some of these guys getting signed or whatever? It's because guys like Bill Belichick looked at the wide receivers and said, who are the mismatch guys? Well, okay, Chris Godwin's the mismatch guy. He got tagged. Okay, I guess the tight ends now are the mismatch guys because the rest of these wide receivers right. really aren't. McLaurin's a mismatch guy. And so to me, I feel like he is set now for – he should take that monumental step forward. I really do believe that. Well, and Samuel, we're talking about this – you know, plethora of one-year deals. He actually signed a three-year deal, 34 and a half mil, um, which is a bit of a commitment. I love that you mentioned the usage in Carolina because that, from a fantasy perspective, has me a little bit... I'm not as bullish on Curtis Samuel because it's going to be interesting to see. Last year, uh, under Brady, um, his usage, his Curtis Samuel's deployment out of the slot grew exponentially. It went up to 71% from 28%, which is what it was with Turner in 2019. Now, obviously, Kyle Allen like is a whole nother wrinkle that needs to be factored in. But Samuel's efficiency was so much better out of the slot. I'm not quite sure this regime is going to be able to, since they were the ones that drafted him, and he was drafted with this like gadget appeal. He could you know, move all over the field and uh, take balls out of the backfield. Like, it'll be interesting to see if they look back at what Carolina did and said, okay, we're going to fold this in. And from what you're saying, it sounds like they're admitting their mistakes and knowing that they didn't fully utilize him to the best of his ability. I think it was finding the groove. You know, that's the, that's the problem. Like when you, when you say the word gadget, any of those guys that kind of get that attached to them at some point, some coach has to find their groove. So I'll give you an example. Cordero Patterson. Forever, we were like, what is Cordero Patterson? Coaching staffs are like, oh, he's a wide receiver. He's a running back. He's this, he's that. And then he gets to New England, and Bill Belichick's like, you know, he's he's an awesome special teams player. This is really what this guy is. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's finding – tapping into, if he's a wide receiver, keeping him on that track, you know, and and not – disrupting it by saying, well, we're going to get you six snaps here. And then at this position, we're going to get you eight snaps there and 15 here. And that was what Carolina could never seem to do. But remember, there were continuity issues in Carolina where there's different coaches, there's staff, you know, staff changes, there's quarterback continuity issues. Um, He just needs a settled down environment. And he needs a coaching staff that looks at him and says, we need you to do this one thing really good. Let's just stick to this one thing and develop that, and then maybe we can sprinkle in a couple of things here and there. Well, I hope they scheme touches for him as beautifully as Carolina did last year. Um, Right now, in fantasy, he's probably going to be wide receiver 40 range for me. Um, Wow. I want to, yeah, I'm I'm not that high from a fantasy perspective because there's a glut of wide receiver threes, right? That just are sure things right now. So a little bit of a wait and see moment. Also, just looking at the rest of the fantasy picture, I was really high on Logan Thomas. I love the story, the trajectory of the career, what he did last year. I think this is a big hit for his stock. He's probably going to move down in my ranking significantly. And obviously, Antonio Gibson, I was all in on. One of the frustrations with Gibson, given his history as uh, a wide receiver, was that J.D. McKissick was getting all of the pass-catching opportunities on third downs. Uh, at the running back position. I think Antonio Gibson's going to be fine with Curtis Samuel. I I thought about it a lot uh, because Curtis Samuel does have that ability to like, you know, handle balls out of the backfield and, and work as a, as a rusher. Um, But I think that Antonio Gibson is going to be fine, at least static because we saw JD McKissick take all of the targets away from him for the most part anyway. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I don't think it's uh, – I, I wouldn't expect a I, – at least static. I think at least static. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. We don't know. Field stretching? Particularly with, more room to run? Yeah, and I mean, with the addition to Samuel, are we certain what that offense is going to look like? I mean, you know, we're, we're put in not just Samuel, but a very different kind of quarterback. I mean, he's not Alex Smith and, um, you know – it's it's I'm not entirely sure we're going to know what that offense is going to look like. And we don't have we're not going to get the intel this offseason that we normally do. Well, hey, here's what they're doing in OTAs. Here's what they're doing in the passing camp. This is what their mini camps look like. Here's the kind of sets that they're rolling out there. It might not be until preseason where we really get an understanding for how much Washington wants to stretch its legs with some of these pieces. So I can't say if you sat there and told me, well, it's clearly not going to be run dominated, uh, run dominated offense, because, you know, look at the, the X and the Z positions at wide receiver um, and look at the quarterback that they bring in. That's not really set up to be a run dominated offense. I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to pin that down right now. So I would say be conservative with really any of those offensive pieces. I, I think other than, I tend to believe that those wide receivers are both going to be fine. But I think beyond the two wide receivers, I would be a little conservative about the rest of the offensive pieces. I love that Charles is like, oh, I'm a fantasy analyst now, so I'm going to hedge because that is our job. It's just being <laughs> asked to like, predict that we don't know either. <laughs> um, a perfect example and illustration of that, by the way, are these next two players we're going to talk about, Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, who were highly debated coming into the 2020 season. Marlon Mack goes and ruptures his Achilles in week one. Jonathan Taylor, it's supposed to be his moment. The rookie that's been drafted, is it going to happen? Nah, it doesn't happen. In fact, Frank Reich, you know, moves to Naheem Hines and he's spreading the ball around and he's not really being committed until, though, week 11 happens. In fact, between weeks 11 to 17, when he did see a heavy workload, as I just mentioned, he averaged around three targets per game. So the question is now, you know, Naheem Hines, he's part of this backfield. Will Wright continue to lean on him? I don't think that he's going to see 77 targets with Carson Wentz under center. That's not the same deal as Phillip Rivers. You know, the main question is how much is Marlon Mack, who, by the way, signed to a one-year deal, again, $2 million, so not a giant investment, um, is going to eat into the second-year player, Jonathan Taylor's, workload. Well, I'm look, first off, when I think of Reich and Carson Wentz, I think of tight end usage. I think of, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of running backs with these two guys together, with, with Carson Wentz and Frank Reich together. Um, even when, Carson once was maxing it out under Frank Reich. I don't think you were like, hey, let me, you know, it, it wasn't like a bonanza for running backs in in that offensive scenario. So I question whether or not you're really going to see that occur in, in Indianapolis. Mac with the ruptured Achilles, I'm out. Like, I don't, I would not screw fantasy-wise with a guy who had a ruptured Achilles. I don't tend to believe, it's not an ACL, okay? And I don't see those guys, unless you're Frank Gore, um, you got to basically be, Frank Gore's like the Terminator, you know, bouncing back from any kind of an injury like this and having eating significant amounts of a workload. I think Jonathan Taylor, to me, as you said, down the stretch, got to where they really want him, you know, in terms of being the functional centerpiece of that offense. But do I think it's going to look the same with Carson Wentz in there? I don't know about that. I don't, we'll, you know, we'll see. And then the offensive line's in a little more flux. They're going to go out and they're going to draft a tackle, I think. You know, Jim Irsay was talking about at the Carson Wentz press conference about, 
you know, having to replace a tackle on his offensive line. And hey, we've drafted guys who've worked out great before. So it's pretty clear that you're going to have some element of flux in that offensive line. It's not that concrete, um, you know, iron curtain type of situation it was when everybody was healthy and at their peak. So uncertain there. If I leaned into one guy, it would be Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, and but again, I I'm not a fan of running backs with Frank Reich and, and Carson Wentz being a starting quarterback. It's interesting that you're mentioning the usage and the play caller, because that is what we saw a lot of last year, although you wonder how much of that was the rookie plateau, especially given the COVID pause and, you know, the abbreviated offseason and all of those things. I am going to be more bullish on Taylor. I, I, I just don't think you draft a running back that high in in this era of football, unless you're going to commit to him. And yeah, is it going to be an RBBC? Yes, because this is 2021 and every every backfield for the most part is an RBBC. Um, I'm probably going to put him inside my top 10. I'm also hoping that if Paris Campbell comes back, like there's a field stretcher available. So maybe he won't see um, the same sort of pressure that he saw last year. And I, I, I have some faith. So I'm, I'm probably, I'm Maybe even a top eight would probably be my, like, RB8 right now. The point is, though, in terms of free agency, neither Charles or I are worried about Marlon Mack because out of an Achilles, he might be a little washed for the minute. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, we're going to finish a uh, moment. We're going to finish talking free agency with the Raiders because <laughs> I don't understand. And I'm going to be honest, like, I, I went for a hike this morning, and I – usually listen to a podcast or like, you know, I like to do my like weird astro tarot reading nonsense and have my, my, my woo woo time. I couldn't, I w I'm so wound up by trying to be, because it is my job. It's my job to like untangle what? and decode and project um, sometimes using astrology. Um, what, what, listen, <laughs> what Liz is trying to say right now is that to figure it out in Las Vegas, you have to basically go on a vision quest <laughs> to figure out exactly what is going on with, with some of the pieces. You know, you're going to talk about Kenyon Drake, the addition. You're going to talk about John Brown, the addition. Uh, there's, you know, the, the quarterback drama, you know, the Marcus Mariota, you know, again, this is another thing that who knows what Marcus Mariota's situation could look like 24 hours from now, or when, when you get to this podcast, but, um, John Gruden is, is a, um, offensive genius that has not seen the genius years in a really long time and loves to mix in different kinds of players. And it's never, it's, it's, if you go back and you look at him historically at Tampa, if you look at what's unfolding in Las Vegas, it's never about the system. It's always about, you know, well, geez, these players aren't right or what. No, it's the system. Maybe the running back situation is jacked up because you have not figured out how to resolve it. Maybe the wide receiver situation is jacked up because you're not going and getting concrete cornerstone pieces for a long period of time. Liz is right. It does take a vision quest to figure this out. So you tell me, you tell, please help me and tell me who on this offense is worthwhile. Well, I will just say that you've phrased it perfectly. And as you were talking, I realized that Gruden, John Gruden reminds me of my toddler in the toy aisle at Target, right? Like any <laughs> new shiny thing she wants, like, mommy, I want that. Mommy. And I was like, yo, we're here to buy, you know, soap. We're not here to buy toys. Um, we got to stick with the plan. And I just think that he gets so excited 
that and you know he's got this giant contract so it's not like he's gonna get fired anytime soon so he has the freedom to be impulsive Kenyon Drake, two years, $11 million. I've never been a Drake truther because I'd like to see him perform outside of the month of December. And we saw that bear out in Arizona last year. I think this is really a story about Josh Jacobs because, you know, heading into the year, into 2020, there were May- Mike Mayock made a comment, I believe at the Combine, that was like, oh, Josh Jacobs is going to take his leap as a pass catcher. We're going to see that evolution. And, you know, there was a debate about whether it was coach speak or not. And in fact, Josh Jacobs did start to catch more balls. He cleared 30 catches, in fact, in 2020. Now they add a pass catching running back. So it feels like there's a bit of a, a regression here for Jacobs. Jacobs also has an injury history. He was never the starter at Alabama, right? That was Damian Harris, but he flashed. There was questions about uh, adding, you know, into the draft, whether he could handle a full workload. He has shown an incredible toughness. He's played through a million nagging injuries, and I think he, you know, was uh, active for 15 games last year. So he's played through all these injuries, but I'm wondering if this addition, and this is giving the Raiders the benefit of the doubt here, is because they're seeing the wear and tear on Josh Jacobs sooner than they were anticipating. Regardless for fantasy, it tanks both of them. Two running backs who have a history of being banged up, well, I guess, it's not apparently, like, equals yeah, one Drake running back. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, both the, it's, well, but I mean, sometimes you get teams who literally look at it and they go, well, yeah, this guy's got soft tissue issues and this guy's got soft tissue issues, but if we add them both together, we get one running back out of this over the course. Look, Drake, what worries me about Drake is, He's going to play the 2021 season, the majority of it, at 27 years old. Uh, it's a little worrisome when three franchises, he's on his third franchise yeah. at 27. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you're a dominant, capable running back, or even just a really capable running back who brings something to the table, two other teams, at least one of them would have said, hey, you're keepable at this point. And it's not like, as you mentioned, the salary it's not like a huge salary blowout. Like it's not, you know, he's a functional piece that is going to be expected to carry part of the load. I don't, it's not a backfield that I love. I mean, it's, it's clearly a guy that they bring in because as you said, you look at Jacobs and you think there's a potential injury, um, a potential injury history here that we could be walking into and we or got a potential rid of workload kind of guy. So there's that. Too. And we, right. And yeah, so there's the swap out. And by the way, I understand Trent Brown was, a train wreck. I understand that you're going to cut him. Like I get all that, but he was a run dominant tackle. And when the the Patriots bring him in and you talk to the people in the Patriots, the first thing they say is, guess what we're going to do? We're going to run the ball because that is what that guy does. He might be a pain in the ass, but we can run the ball behind him. Well, he was a pain in, in Las Vegas, but you're taking a guy out of the fold who you could run behind as long as your guy was healthy. So it's, um, as you said, it's the shiny toy in the aisle kind of thing, and I'm I'm frustrated whenever I look at the Raiders because I, other than Waller, you know, Darren Waller's the only piece there where I'm like, oh, you can count on that. But beyond that, I'm like, I don't know what else you can count on because they switch things in and they run hot and cold on guys far too often. Well, you're mentioning the wide receivers then because if the backfield is scrambled, the wide receiving the wide receiving core is even more complicated. Uh, John Brown leaves Buffalo, only managed nine games in 2020. We know about his injury history in Arizona, the sickle cell, all of that doesn't need to be covered. But it's interesting because he's like 30 years old and known for being a speedster. Yeah, he can track a ball, but also uh, 
Henry Ruggs was drafted by the Raiders ah, less than a ah, year ago. Um, speedster, the first wide receiver taken off the board. And now I'm assuming they're going to allow Henry Ruggs to go back into the slot and they're going to keep John Brown outside, I guess, and then have Brian Edwards be the other. Brian Edwards, by the way, who I love, and I think if there is opportunity for anybody, it is going to be Brian Edwards. I know I was on the hype train last year. I'm not giving it up because if one of these things is not like the other, it is Brian Edwards, uh, who comps, if you're not familiar, closer to like Alshon Jeffrey. A nice contested catch player. But um, so you've got maybe, maybe, I don't even know. You've got Darren Waller doing his thing, dominating. You've got, I guess, Brian Edwards and John Brown on the outside. I guess you've got Henry Ruggs in the slot, but you also have Hunter Renfro. And now you've added Kenyon Drake, who can catch passes out of the slot as well. Okay. I don't I don't mean for fantasy. It's all such a mix that I'm, I'm guessing if I'm taking a late round flyer because I have an affinity for the player, maybe I take Edwards and everybody else can figure out the other pieces. Yeah, I don't, you know, and Gruden has said something good about all those guys. Like, you know, they've all been guys that he's been high on at some point. I Here's the thing about rugs that I will say is interesting. And I lean into what you were saying about the slot. I think that they're looking at rugs and they're saying, if we move rugs into the slot, we move him closer to the center of the field you know, remember, when, when you're an outside receiver, the boundary becomes a defender. You're naturally pressed against a boundary. But if you take a guy who's got some speed and some mismatch ability and you move him closer to the center of the field, it complicates defensively what the opponent has to do. And there's more ability for a mistake to be made when you have someone with a ton of speed coming out of the slot because there can be handoffs. There's a lot of different responsibilities depending on what kind of a defense you're playing. Whereas if you take that person and you push them closer to the boundary, even if there's a screw-up, whoever's playing defense knows I've got a defender in the boundary always on this side. I only have to protect so much space or I have this. So to me, I would be high on rugs if I knew, okay, they're moving him into the slot for this purpose because they're going to start to try to mix things up with him. And maybe I take a flyer on him. You know, Brown... Whatever, man. I got. I go back to Arizona, and I remember talking to Larry Fitzgerald, and he told me that this all oh, this guy's going to be the next big thing. He's going to blow up. He's amazing. And then you know, one thing after another. You know, there was always like an injury, or as you said, you know, there's health, a health condition. Um, Brian Edwards, maybe. You know, maybe that was the guy I was hyped on last year. Like I was like, okay, wow, they're really, you know, they're really high in this guy, and this is going to be the, you know, the person who comes out of this mix here who. Maybe is a little bit off the radar, but even Hunter Renfro, we went through the Hunter Renfro, John Gruden loving him too. So that's what's difficult about this is I just, in, in a situation with Gruden, I stick with who had production, like who has shown production and the ability to stay on the field. Waller's that guy. And then after that, tell me particularly what you're going to do with the players. And that will make me decide whether or not it would take them in fantasy. And so rugs, if, if they do the slot, if this, if it's a slot, um assignment Mm -hmm. as you tend to think it is i like that for him okay well i think that that pretty much so it'll be interesting to see you know you're right though we're not going to get those reports as regularly but if i start if the drumbeat that i am hearing refers to rugs in the slot that obviously makes sense for production with the quarterback assuming it's still car then mm-hmm. he'll move up my draft board. But so Ruggs is a wait and see. And Brian Edwards, like I said, is just a player that I have an affinity for. I'm not drafting Brian Edwards, by the way. Like, 
he's someone in dynasty I might, or keeper league I might hold on to if, if you had him really late. Um, because I think there is some potential there. You have been, you guys can't see this probably, but Charles Robinson has been multitasking this entire episode. His phone is blowing up. Also, Charles <laughs> is on his phone all the time. I don't know I'm sorry. how your I knew partner- you saw me, Yana. Oh, I, def- <laughs> I mean, Charles, I like attention. Um, I see you on your phone. And so I know that uh, we were late to record because you were getting some information. Do you have any um, anything to share? Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> if you're... Deshaun Watson, the situation with Deshaun Watson is not getting better. It's getting worse. And I I think it's something that's going to continue to get worse. Um, You know, the league is now investigating him. The union Are they investigating him or are they investigating uh, the connection between the attorney and the owner? No, they're, I mean, they are investigating like Deshaun Watson and all the civil suits that are being filed. Got it. So as of Thursday, we're on the 3rd. Um, but Tony Busby, the, the Houston attorney who has been essentially signing up all these lawsuits and, and filing them, now says it's going to be as expanded to as many as nine separate lawsuits. And this can't be – it's not like if you're into legal speak here, it's not going to be a class action lawsuit. These are nine separate lawsuits now that have to be untangled um, for Deshaun Watson and his representation. And the you know Lisa Friel, who is the vice president who essentially handles investigations for the league, has reached out to Tony Busby and said, you know what, we want to talk to these women, you know, that are filing these lawsuits and um, begin moving forward in a in a manner that is reflective of the personal conduct policy. And it, when the league becomes engaged like this, the question is, is this someone who's going to land on the commissioner's exempt list? Forget all the trade stuff. You're all sitting, you know, people, is he going to be traded? Is it going to affect trade? <laughs> is this going to affect this trade value? Are you kidding me? Like right now, it may affect his ability to play football. And that's where we're at right now with Deshaun Watson. So what was one person on Tuesday is now potentially nine people by Thursday. We don't know how deep the hole goes here. And um, we have yet to hear the sort of comprehensive response from Deshaun Watson's side. And part of that may be, hey, we're, we may go to trial in these things. And so we, you know, we're going to hold back everything until we get to trial. We may have to go through nine different trials or however this gets sorted out. Um, I can only tell you that it's, uh, it, it seems to be getting exponentially worse every single day. And what I think some people, I don't want to say people blew it off on Tuesday, but you know the way that it was kind of put out there by Tony Busby, the lawyer, on his Instagram account caused some people to pull back and go, man, I don't know. I've never seen an attorney kind of do this before and almost seemingly make the first case about himself. It's We're well beyond that now. This is no longer about the attorney, and people need to understand this is about as severe as it can possibly be. And I've read through the three suits that have been filed, and they progressively read worse. Every single one. So if we're graduating to worse as they go, and we're on three of nine, this isn't going to be a a great situation. And the Houston Texans are very concerned about it. I would say that the NFL is now very concerned about it. And if Deshaun Watson's camp is not concerned about it, maybe they need to voice why that is right now. Let me ask, and obviously this is a delicate situation, so I'm, I'm, choosing my words, um, I think a lot of people, and you are based in Houston, so you're hearing this uh, at a closer proximity, obviously, than I am, are are interested in the timing 
of these lawsuits, given right. the contentious relationship between Watson and the Texans. And there were reports, and I'm asking you uh, if they were found to be erroneous or not, linking, I believe, the owner of the team and this attorney, like via a neighbor or something? So the attorney, Tony Busby, at one point in the past on his Instagram account, um, he had put these billboards up when Johnny Manziel was coming. He's a, he, The attorney, Tony Busby, is a Texas A&M alum. So when Johnny Manziel was in the draft, he had put up these attorney, the, these, he, I'm sorry, he had put up these billboards about keeping Johnny home in Texas. And he posted something on Instagram saying how he had mentioned to his neighbor, my neighbor, and I think he met the late Bob McNair, um, that, you know, you should draft him and keep him home in Texas. And so everyone's saying, well, geez, it's his neighbor. And, you know, is, is there some kind of conspiracy going on here? I would only say to people who, who I understand people are looking at Tony Busby and they're saying, wow, he's sure gone about this in an unorthodox way. And wow, he sure seems to be very um, much pushing him, himself in the middle of the spotlight with all these Instagram posts and stuff. And I agree with all that. It is unorthodox the way that he is going about this as an attorney. There are a lot of attorneys who would not approach it this way. However, the sheer volume of individuals who are now being brought into the litigation, we're up to three lawsuits. If this does reach nine separate lawsuits, I can only say that in my experience, it's very difficult to get one or two or three people to collude, but to get nine people to collude into some sort of conspiratorial um, money grab that's all fake is unusual. So, but Deshaun Watson's going to have his opportunity to respond to this. Um, he has, from what I've been told, secured a uh, very high-end, elite-level uh, trial attorney in uh, Texas. So we'll see. We'll see what the response is from Deshaun Watson's end and whether or not um, the number of individuals coming out um, and, and filing lawsuits will increase. But I can absolutely tell you every NFL team that had any interest in Deshaun Watson is pumping the brakes right now because Lisa Friel has now started an investigation into this. And you don't go out and acquire a player and give up multiple first round picks and players for someone who may be on the commissioner's exempt list by August. Obviously, this is a developing story, one that you are going to be closely watching. Um, we're going to end on this point as free agency continues to ramp up on Friday. We'll be back next week with more free agency news. Uh, you can follow Charles in the meantime, since obviously news continues to break and he is our insider. I will say that for you, Charles, on Twitter <laughs> at Charles Robinson. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. And that's going to do it. We're out.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.